It's 1207. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us as we do every day when the technology works. We live stream the first couple segments of the program on Facebook. So you can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ and watch as we do the program. The cottage industry is to Jeff's wife dressing today. And the answer is partially yes. (laughs) Partially yes. So check it out. Let's get started right away. Um, I I made some brief comments about this, and I have sent out tweets regarding this. You can follow me at uh, Jeff Wagner 620. That's the the Twitter handle. Uh, I've shared some of these things. It's been a bad couple days for for the president. Let's, Let's just review the bidding quickly. Paul Manafort, who was his former campaign chairperson, is convicted of various counts of tax fraud and bank fraud for reasons that are almost inexplicable. President Trump, over the weekend, while the jury is out, comes out with a bunch of tweets supporting Paul Manafort. Oh, this is terrible. It's a witch hunt, etc. All right, let, let, let's just put this in perspective. Paul Manafort is a criminal. Paul Manafort is a tax cheat. Paul Manafort is a guy who made millions of dollars, decided he didn't want to pay taxes on him, set up a series of dummy shell companies overseas, funneled the money through there so to avoid detection, induced various people to lie for him, directed people to falsify statements and falsify bank records, and he ended up getting convicted. There is nothing noble at all about Paul Manafort, and looks like he's going to be spending eight to ten of the next years of his life in a federal penitentiary. Now, again... This doesn't, what he was convicted of, has nothing to do with the Russia investigation, and it was behavior that he engaged in before he came to work for Donald Trump. But nonetheless, Paul Manafort is a sleaze, period. And I don't care if he worked for other Republican administrations. He is a criminal. And why the president would choose to, I guess, say, all right, this is terrible that he's being prosecuted. No, it's not terrible he's been prosecuted. He deserved to be prosecuted. You've got the Manafort case. Closer to home, though, is the Michael Cohen situation. Michael Cohen is the presidential fixer. Most people don't have fixers. I, my fixer is a five foot five dynamo named Fran who, t- who fixes the problems I get into, but I'm married to her. Most people don't have lawyers slash fixers on the payroll, but Michael Cohen is kind of a sleazy New York lawyer who has hung out in Trump's orbit for years and years doing a lot of his dirty work. He entered a guilty plea the other day. Now, again, let's review the bidding as a lead into what I want to talk about in just a moment. We all know these stories. President Trump, when he was developer, TV star Donald Trump, was euphemistically a ladies' man. And that's part of the image that he cultivated. Here's this billionaire playboy. He slept around. That is not a secret. Some of those dalliances came back to haunt him when he was running for president. You have the overexposed, no pun intended, Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, with whom President Trump had apparently a one-night stand. He denies it, but I don't think anybody believes that. A one-night stand at a golf tournament in 2006 or 2007. He also had an ongoing affair with a Playboy model that ran for around a year at about that period of time. Both of those women were shopping stories around as President Trump was running for president, as he was candidate Trump. What happened was Michael Cohen, the lawyer, ended up arranging 
what's called, uh, well, they're describing it as hush money payments. It, it's payments to these women so that they don't tell their stories. There's nothing illegal in that. These non-disclosure agreements happen all the time. Nothing illegal in that at all. What has raised this to the level is that Cohen has now entered a guilty plea saying, I made these payments. I did it at the direction of Donald Trump, the candidate. We did it for the purpose of influencing the election. That is stopping this information from coming out. And I did it with money that I put in, but I was subsequently reimbursed by President Trump. But we did it in this fashion to conceal what was going on. If President Trump had simply paid these women, it would not be a problem. But by doing it the way they did, it has created potentially a campaign finance violation. On top of it, it becomes complicated because there are presumably many reasons why Donald Trump didn't want this story to come out. Um, he doesn't want to embarrass himself. He doesn't want to embarrass his family. He doesn't want to embarrass his wife. So there's multiple reasons for this. The example I gave yesterday, if I want to invite the governor and Mrs. Walker to my house for a dinner party, there's no problem. I can invite them over for a dinner party. I don't have to report any campaign donations or anything like that. On the other hand, if I decide I want to host a fundraiser for them here and we invite all sorts of people and people have to pay $100 a piece to show up, well, then the cost of the dinner party That is an in-kind contribution. I I have to report it, and the governor has to report it. What happens, though, is the the situation that's in the middle. What if you you have the dinner party, and it's not a fundraiser, and people don't have to pay to come, but at the same time, the governor gets to meet some wealthy friends of mine, and maybe they're going to be induced to write him a check or contact him later. Is that a campaign-related contribution by me, or is it just something... That, that happens naturally as the course of an otherwise perfectly acceptable evening. This is a very, very tricky area of the law, and I am not certain at all if Robert Mueller decided to try to press criminal charges against now President Trump. And by the way, I, I don't think that's likely to happen. I, I don't think Mueller believes that you can indict a sitting president. But if you were to try to indict him, I think it would be a tough prosecution. I just think it would be a tough prosecution because you would have to prove that the reason this hush money, this hush money was paid was to influence the campaign. When the truth is, there's probably lots of reasons why it was made. This would be a tough prosecution as to President Trump. But, 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 it is clearly unseemly. And I don't care whether you're a fan of the president or you're a detractor of the president. This is not something that looks good. It, it just isn't. And one of the things that drives me crazy about this whole thing is it's completely and totally unnecessary. I I argued this yesterday. I've argued it for months. I don't think anybody who voted for Donald Trump, not a single person, would have not voted for him if they found out that, gee, he he slept with or didn't sleep with a, a pornographic film actress in 2006 or he had an affair with a Playboy model in 2006. I, I don't think that would have changed one person's vote. I, I just don't. Nobody voted for Donald Trump thought, thinking he was a paragon of integrity or virtue. It, it just was a complete non-factor, which is why 
for the president to find himself embroiled in this thing over efforts to cover up these affairs is just kind of mind-boggling. And again, it's for the third time in my lifetime, Nixon and Watergate. Nixon didn't need to, Nixon didn't need to authorize a break-in of the Democratic National Committee headquarters in 1972. He was going to slaughter George McGovern in the election. Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton could have and perhaps did sleep with a whole wide variety of people. He didn't need to do it with an intern in the Oval Office and then end up lying about it. It's, it's again, this incredible bad judgment on things which you, you just didn't need to do that gets you into trouble. I think it is unlikely that President Trump will be indicted, extremely unlikely. I do think, however, that this conduct does bring the I word into play, and that I word is impeachment. If Democrats retake control of the House this November, I think the pressure from a lot of the base will be very, very difficult to resist because a lot of the base, a lot of the people out there just loathe Donald Trump, and there's going to be a lot of pressure to start impeachment hearings. So let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you feel about the impeachment of the president? Not for anything to do with Russia, because this has nothing to do with Russia, but rather for the whole effort to cover up the payments to Stephanie Clifford, Stormy Daniels, and the Playboy model. Is this a basis for impeachment, or is this a huge distraction for the country? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. Once again, if you want to watch us as we do this, we're live streaming on Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. 414-799-1620. Is this an impeachable offense? Would you like to see impeachment steps move on? We discuss next. It's 1217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Once again, we're live streaming this segment of the program, facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. couple texts here. I think you're wrong about the potential impact of Trump's women. He lost the overall election by 3 million votes. Okay, you got to get over that if you're on the left. And he only won a handful of swing states by a few thousand. I, 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 I Look, I, I get that, but I don't think... There's anybody, and I have not talked to, I do not know, and I can't imagine that unicorn out there, the person who voted for Donald Trump who would have said, you know what, I'm not voting for him in 2016 because he had a one-night stand with a porn star slash stripper in 2006. I think that whole thing about his character and what it means or doesn't mean, that was pretty much baked in the pie. I just, I don't believe that that was a voting issue at all. All 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's my take on this. I think as a practical matter, if there is not something more, impeachment will backfire on anybody trying to push it. And and, and here's here's why. I think Republicans when Republicans try to impeach Bill Clinton based on the the sexual misconduct and the lying about it, they weren't able to do it. And I think they lost a good chunk of the American people on it because while the American people were, I think, appalled at Bill Clinton's conduct on a personal level, they didn't believe that that rose to the level of impeachment. And I think this is 
while at least somewhat different, I, I think it's the same basic premise here. I mean, what you have is basically not misconduct in office, but it is personal behavior that I think a lot of people, most people would probably find appalling, but not directly reflective on the job in, in office. It's not like the president, when he's president, authorizing a break-in of the Democratic National Committee. This is a, an effort to, I don't know, keep some misbehavior in the past that doesn't rise to the level of being illegal to try to keep it under the under wraps. And, and I think this is one thing where if you push impeachment, it has the real potential of backfiring because I think even though there's people who might not necessarily like President Trump, they're going to think this goes too far. My comparison would be the recall election of Scott Walker. Remember, after Scott Walker won, introduced Act 10, there were a lot of people in the Democratic Party who said, we don't want to do a recall because we don't think we're going to have the horses to do it. We disagree with Act 10, but we don't think this is a basis for a recall. The left, the hard left in Wisconsin, pushed for that recall. The recall failed spectacularly, and Walker came out of that stronger than ever and used that momentum to coast to victory You know, two years later when he was up for re-election the, the first time. I think that there's a lot of parallels to that. I don't want anybody to think that I am justifying or defending Donald Trump's conduct. I am not. I'm just saying I don't think this is something that leads to impeachment, and I think while there might be some temptation by some people to do it, because, again, it appeals to the base, we loathe Donald Trump, you've got to do everything you can to get him out, I think it would backfire, 414-799-1620, and backfire, I think, badly. Also, as somebody who, like I say, lived through the Clinton impeachment efforts, do we want to, and it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen until after the November elections, if Democrats are able to take control of the House. Do you want to have the country distracted in that fashion for a year on, gee, should we impeach him because he had a lawyer that you know paid money that maybe should have been disclosed, maybe, on campaign finance reports? 414-799-1620. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Yes, thank you. Hi, Sue. It's going to be a huge distraction. And not only that, it's going to cost us a great deal of money. But we have so many issues in this country that we need to solve, and we need to get busy and do that. Health care, crime, immigration. There are huge things that need to be solved. And impeachment isn't one of them. Well, especially not impeachment over something like this. You know, flip the deck if somehow, and I don't think it's going to happen, but what do I know? If if it turns out that there is evidence suggesting that candidate Trump was engaged in a criminal conspiracy with the Russians to, you know, affect the election, that might be one thing. I just don't think the American people are going to be there on this particular issue. I agree. Right. Which which thanks which isn't to say. That I think President Trump is covering himself with any degree of glory in this. This whole thing was stupid. It was ham-handed, and it, it's again just like just like you go back and you, and you think Richard Nixon. Why why did you authorize this Watergate break-in? What were you thinking, Bill Clinton? What were you thinking when you get involved with this intern? It, it's just this, these incredibly acts of 
of stupidity, this ham-handed stuff that now gets you caught up in these different things. 414-799-1620. Jeremy and Racine. Jeremy, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks, Dick McCall. Hi, Jeremy. I don't believe it's in a peaceful manner, even though I know the left is probably going to try and push it. And I actually, in a part of me says, I, I want to see them do it, because it's really it's probably going to drum up the base yep. in a round of wagon, and it's probably going to create a surge. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Trump just slide through 2020 election, no problem. Well, I'm not willing to go. <laughs> thanks for calling. I'm not willing to go that far. I, I, I just, I, I think, I candidly think that not necessarily in Wisconsin, but I think across the country, voters are going to take out their distaste with President Trump's behavior. I think they're going to take it out on lots of Republican candidates. Leah Vukmir might be immune to that. Scott Walker might be immune to that because of the unique politics of Wisconsin. But I'm afraid it's shaping up to be a bad year for Republicans because despite all the gains on the economy and all the good stuff that's going on there, it gets drummed. It's it's being just died out and drummed over by everything going on with President Trump. So I don't know what this means for a reelection effort in 2020, but I, I think – I think impeachment would be bad for the country on something like this. Now, like I say, maybe there's some other shoe out there that says, all right, well, this is really something you have to get involved in. This is a ham-handed effort to, I don't know, steer money to a couple women so they don't tell their stories that would not have been illegal um, and might still not have been illegal, but for certain circumstances. Tim in Fredonia. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Tim. Jeff, good afternoon. Hi, Tim. You know, like a, we didn't, people, vo- voters, we didn't vote for Trump because of his morality car wash. Okay? Okay, Jeff? Right. We voted for him because he was a non-politician and nobody thought he could win. Mm-hmm. And he ended up winning. Okay? Now, Jeff, if it wasn't this, if it wasn't Cohen, if it wasn't Manafort, it would be something else. He, this guy goes under a daily proctology exam by the media. Yeah, but okay? don't you think he brings some of that on himself, though, Tim, in Correct. fairness? Correct. Okay. okay. He does with the tweets, Jeff. I'm not defending any of that. Okay. okay? Now, if they would have if they would have ham-handed and searched Obama, Jeff, if, if it would have been a conservative media, it would have been the same thing on the other side. So what I'm saying is media bias, Jeff, is not only in things they say, but it's stuff, a lot of stuff they don't say. Mm-hmm. And they have an agenda. But like I said, I'm not giving him a morality pass on this. Okay, right. that's fine. No, thank Tim. I'm sorry. I got to kind of let you go. So I'm kind of up against the clock here. I, I look. I, I I get what you're saying, and I'm with you when it comes to mainstream my mainstream media bias and things like that. But but that said, it isn't the New York Times, and it's not the Washington Post, and it's not MSNBC that made arrangements to funnel all sorts of money through this shady lawyer to these different women. I mean, that it's just it was a series of very, very bad decisions that were made that now leaves him in the situation that he is. So, I mean, there's only I, I, I get the whole media bias thing and I buy into a lot of the media bias thing. Look, here's the bottom line of all this. There's going to be impeachment talk that, that's out there. If the Democrats retake control of the House, I think there's going to be so much pressure out there from the Trump haters that they're going to have to try to do it. I think that's going to be inevitable. I think ultimately it's going to backfire on them, just like impeachment backfired on Republicans when they tried to do it to Bill Clinton. I guess from the perspective of somebody who wants to see us deal with the real issues in this world, though, uh, the idea of, of having 
this cloud out over everybody for the next year, not something that I am looking forward to at all. It's 1229. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So I I think, uh, again, I think impeachment... I think impeachment will certainly be something which is discussed if Democrats take control of Congress after the November elections. I think it would be unfortunate for this country if we then spend most of 2019 with the impeachment issue. Ultimately, if if all we're talking about, and again, I'm, I'm not minimizing this, this behavior. It's bad behavior. But if all we are talking about is, gee, President Trump could have paid these women not to tell their stories himself, but you went through this kind of ham-handed thing with this attorney. If that's it, I just I don't think the American people are going to be saying we're going to overturn an election result because of that. Just like in Wisconsin, the idea that, okay, maybe there were some people that didn't like Act 10 and thought it was an overreach or whatever, but you're not going to overturn an election because of that. So I think at the same time, though, if Democrats take control, there is going to be incredible pressure from the base that loathes Donald Trump to do exactly that. I just think it's going to be a long 2019 if we're caught up in an impeachment battle. Karl Rove who, of course, was the architect, um, guy who knows a ton, very controversial figure, but who knows a ton about conservative politics and was the architect of George Bush's victory. He's got a piece in the uh, Wall Street Journal. Let me share a portion of it with you. Cohen, Manafort, and midterms. They show up for every presidential campaign. Wannabes like George Papandopoulos, self-promoters like Carter Page, and worse, Grifters like Paul Manafort and strap hangers like Michael Cohen. Grifters attach themselves to campaigns to refresh their credentials so they can sell their services to foreign governments and political parties or businesses looking to buy influence. Strap hangers hope to land a job in the West Wing. And if that's not possible, to cash in on their connections. The consequences for President Trump of having people like this around him became clearer than ever Tuesday when his former campaign chairman, Mike Man- Mr. Manafort, was found guilty of tax and bank fraud and hiding foreign bank accounts, while the president's longtime personal lawyer and fixer, Mr. Cohen, pleaded guilty to tax evasion, making false statements, and campaign viol- finance violations. Let me stop there for just a second. I mean, regardless of of, of whether you love President Trump or you hate President Trump. One of the things I think we could all agree on is what are you doing surrounding yourself with people like Cohen and Manafort? I mean, and it does say something. It says something not good that these are the people that you're putting in your orbit. In any event, the thing continues. So what's the likely political fallout from these courtroom bombshells? First, full disclosure. When Mr. Manafort wrote Mr. Trump in spring of 2016 to offer his assistance, he said I, that would be Karl Rove, was his blood enemy. By that, Mr. Manafort referred to the unsuccessful campaign he managed for my rival for the national chairmanship of the college Republicans in 1973. Mr. Manafort must have an enormous capacity for grudges. I can't remember interacting with him after that campaign, and I last saw him at the 1996 GOP convention. Following Tuesday's verdict, the president declared that special counsel Robert Mueller's successful prosecution of Manafort had nothing to do with Russia collusion. Mr. Trump is right for now. Only the final special counsel report will settle that definitively. Some defenders of the president dismissed the Manafort verdict as a witch hunt. 
This is wrong and unwise. Mr. Miller acted within his mandate, and Mr. Manafort was found guilty of failing to pay taxes on $30 million of income from consulting in the Ukraine, $18 million of which he spent on clothing, antiques, real estate, and home expenses. Though they may be distressed by the notion of a 69-year-old Manafort spending decades in prison, Mr. Trump's allies could spend their energy better by pointing out the president was not involved in his schemes and was, in fact, used by him. I agree with all that. Why President Trump last weekend decides, hey, Paul Manafort's a great guy. No, Paul Manafort's a tax cheat and should probably be called out for that. Rove continues. Mr. Cohen's guilty pleas are more troubling, uh, and not simply because Mr. Cohen admitted to paying hush money to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, who claimed to have had affairs with Mr. Trump. Mr. Cohen now says that Trump directed him to make the payments to protect the election prospects, an action some believe constitutes a violation of campaign finance laws, Many legal experts doubt the payments were illegal, et cetera, et cetera, for reasons that we've talked about. Still, Tuesday's events will bring significant damage. Mr. Manafort and Cohen's legal troubles will further cement in the public's mind that corrupt people weaseled their way into Mr. Trump's orbit before and during his presidential campaign. This notion will be reinforced further when Mr. Manafort's next trial begins in September over more charges of money laundering. The events will also strengthen congressional Democrats' argument that their party is a necessary check on the president. Again, then he goes on to say it's unlikely that he's going to be indicted, but from Mr. Trump's perspective, he would be better off not attacking the Mueller probe and instead focusing on his agenda instead of obsessing on what has happened in the past. I I think that's the key. If Republicans are not going to be slaughtered this November, The message has to be, look at what's going on in the economy. Stock market is going up. People are back at work. And all this other stuff is a bunch of white noise. That's what I think the message has to be. I'm not sure it can play well nationally, but I do think it's got the potential to play well in the state of Wisconsin. And when we come back, we're going to talk in more detail about what the Marquette poll numbers show for Scott Walker and for Leah Vukmir. Stick around. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The backup quarterback situation for the Packers is certainly better than last season. But will that ultimately matter come week one? Greg Matzik thinks so, and he'll explain why. It's 735 tonight on Sports Central. Okay, now, Gru, you're a Packers fan. All right, so I mean, let, let, let's first of all say anything happens to Aaron Rodgers. For any length of time, Packers are in a lot of trouble, just like last year. So the question is, the new guy, Kaiser, or the old guy, Hundley, by old guy, I mean the guy who's been around for a couple years and demonstrated that he can't play. So I guess here, here here's the thing. I don't know if the new guy is better, but we know that Hundley can't play. We, we saw that. So what is that old adage, doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised that the results aren't different is the definition of insanity? I guess I look at that and say, it would be insane to go with the same guy who you know after three years in the system can't play. And, of course, I appreciate Mike McCarthy. He didn't throw the quarterback under the bus. He said, well, last year, well, he just wasn't ready. Well, if you're not ready after three years, why do you think you're going to be ready after four? I guess I think I'm not the general manager, but I think this was an easy call. All right, yesterday, right as we were ending the program, Marquette University Law School poll came out. Now, I always need to caution people on this. The Marquette University Law School poll is taken as gospel by some folks, and for a while, it was the gold standard of of polling, but just like many other polls have a track record of getting it wrong, 
Marquette poll has, has been getting it wrong as well. If, if you believe the Marquette University Law School poll, for example, Ron Johnson would have, Ron Johnson would have lost to Russ Feingold both 2016 and in 2010. And you would have also had uh, President Hillary Clinton instead of President Trump. So you've got to take this all with a grain of salt. And that's kind of how I, I view polls nowadays. But the polls came out. It was the first head-to-head matchup after the primary elections were over between Scott Walker's and, Walker and Tony Evers. The two numbers that I think are important to look at, first of all, there, there is the head-to-head. The head-to-head numbers had the two of them tied, 46 to 46, among likely voters. Interestingly, um, among registered voters, four years ago, at this point in time, I think Mary Burke, who went on to get crushed by Scott Walker, she was ahead. Here's how I look at that number, that 46 to 46. That's That 46% that's supporting Evers, that's not support for Evers. That's That's the we hate Walker vote. Because the reality is, Scott Walker is a polarizing figure. He, he's never going to get, at this point in time in his career, he's not going to get more than 53 or 54% of the vote. He's not going to be like Tommy Thompson in a couple of Tommy's re-election years when he got close to 60% of the vote. That's just not going to happen. There's people who are dug in. They will never vote for Governor Walker. At the same time, there's a lot of people who will run through a brick wall to vote for Governor Walker, and, and they come out. So I see this 46% number, and that tells me that, that Evers himself is not moving the needle. It's not that people are excited, oh, this is Tony Evers, our candidate. So then the question becomes, over the course of the next couple months, is Evers going to be able to do something which is going to cause, I don't know, people who maybe have voted for Walker in the past to switch over and to vote for him? And I will be candid with you, I do not see Tony Evers as being that type of candidate. I think, in many respects, Tony Evers is the the perfect candidate for Governor Walker to run uh, against because, I mean, he's sort of a candidate of the past. He will primarily represent the anti-Walker vote. And as we saw in the recall election in 2012, and then we saw in 2014, there's not enough of that purely anti-Walker vote out there to win the election. The other interesting number for Governor Walker in the Marquette University Law School poll that I always look at is the, the job performance numbers, because that's that's really where you want to focus on when you're when you're looking at an incumbent. Do people approve of the job you are doing? And once again, first of all, Governor Walker's approval rating is what we would call above water. Among likely voters, 49% say they approve of his job performance. 47% say they don't. He's above water, which means more people approve than disapprove, and he is extremely close to that 50% number. And typically for an incumbent, if you're if you're anywhere close to 50%, that's going to be pretty good for you because again, there's got to be a reason, a reason to vote out an incumbent. And if people are satisfied with the direction of the state, if people think, you know, all things considered, and no politician is perfect, but all things considered, we think the incumbent, in this case Governor Walker, is doing a pretty good job, 
that bodes well for that incumbent. So I, I understand the top line here was Walker's and, Ever- and Evers tied at 46% of the vote. Actually, if you go behind the scenes, I, I think that's, I think there's a lot of encouraging stuff for Governor Walker, which isn't to say that this election is going to be a, a cakewalk. But I will tell you this, I think, you know, Governor Walker is not one of these politicians who's going to kind of sit sit on the sidelines and, and take anything for for granted. So I expect that, you know, during the course of the next couple of months, he's going to continue to be all over the state talking about the things that he has accomplished. Tony Evers will be out there trying to, again, cultivate his base. But 46 percent of the vote, that's not a pro Evers vote. That's just the anti Walker vote. And the question is going to be, can Evers get more of that? I'm not sure how that happens, but time will tell. When we come back, a little bit of analysis of what I think is the most surprising poll result. That is the Baldwin-Vukmir race. And then in about 12 minutes, it is a story I have been waiting all day to discuss with you. It involves a mom, her 8-year-old daughter, and the family dog, and a nosy neighbor. Stick around. 1253, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, as the Bucks prepare for their move to Pfizer Forum. We're taking a look back at the team's sometimes complicated relationship with the Bradley Center. Doug Russell shares part two of our ongoing series tomorrow at 751 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Doug, by the way, has done an outstanding job with that uh, series, so be sure to check that out. I, I, I am not surprised by the, the Walker numbers in the Marquette University Law School poll. I, the, the Trump numbers... 45% approve, 51% disapprove. I'm not surprised by that. I have to admit, I, I was more than a little bit surprised in the numbers coming out of the Senate race. Here's the bottom line. Tammy Baldwin has pretty much had a cakewalk for the last several months, and she spent a ton of money on advertising. Meanwhile, you've had the two Republican candidates, Leah Vukmir and then Kevin Nicholson, but going after each other, um, and there's been some pretty tough things said about each other by those campaigns. Now the primary is over. Leah Vukmir wins. I expected this poll to show her down, maybe down double digits. I, I really thought that was poss- a possibility. But with the poll, and again, you, you always take these things with a grain of salt, but among likely voters, Baldwin 49%, Vukmir 47%. That is within the margin of error, and it shows essentially that it's certainly – Worst case scenario, Vukmir remains within striking range, and and now she's got a chance to really kind of focus the election. Now, I continue to believe this is going to be an uphill battle for Leah Vukmir. It's going to be typically, you know, you have problems with the party. The party out of power normally picks up seats in an off-year election. Wisconsin tends to like incumbents. It's tough to beat a sitting U.S. senator, although Ron Johnson did it, with Russ Feingold back in 2010. And, of course, you've got the whole Trump effect, which is very, very difficult for anybody to to figure out how that's ultimately going to come down. But the truth of the matter is this is a very positive development for Leah Vukmir. Also, going back to what I was saying just a couple minutes ago, when you're looking at approval ratings, Walker has a 49% approval rating. Baldwin is above water as well, but her approval rating is 43%. And the uh, unfavorable rating is 40%. So she's close as well, but she's not 
at that 50% number, which is oftentimes the magic number for re-election. Look, I'm not about ready to sit here today and predict that I think Leah Vukmir wins the Senate race. It's an uphill battle. There's no question about it. But for people who might have been tending to just write off Wisconsin and say, oh, Wisconsin isn't in play, you do that at your own peril. Because if you believe these poll numbers, very, very positive information for Leah Vukmir. When we come back after the news, a mom, a nosy neighbor, a family pet, and an eight-year-old. I'll tie it all together and get your reaction. Stick around. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I've been waiting all day to discuss this story with you. It's the whole concept of free-range parroting. Now, now here's the deal. Uh, can I see a show of hands? Who, ha- who has dogs? All right. My hand goes up. Got a little dog. And what is one of the things that happens when you are a pet owner? The dogs need to go out, and the dogs need to be walked, or else, like, really, really bad things happen. And sometimes it's a pain in the butt to have to walk the dog because... I don't know. Dog wakes up at four o'clock in the morning. Dog's got to go out. It's raining. All right. That dog's got to go out. So you got to get up and you got to go out with the, the dog. It is a responsibility. And for people who have children, one of the ways that you teach, I think, kids responsibility is you put them in charge of certain tasks with the dogs, which brings me to this story out of Wilmette, Illinois, and a woman named Corey Wyden. Corey Wyden is a suburban housewife. She's in her 40s. She has two children, one 17 and a daughter age 8. Follow me? The kids wanted a dog. Mom, 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 can we have a dog? And so mom says, well, we can get a dog, but here's the deal. You guys are going to be responsible for taking care of the dog. Now, you always know when you say stuff like that, your mom and dad are going to have kind of the lion's share of it, but they're, you're going to have chores. You are going to be responsible for dealing with certain things to do with the dog. And the kids say, okay. Well, so they get this dog, a little, little puppy. And one of the things is that the kids are responsible for regularly walking the dog. So here, here's what happens. Again, one kid is 17, one kid is eight. The eight-year-old, I mean, she takes turns. Mom and dad walk the dog, too. But the kids have, you know, regular assignments of walking the dog. So it's the eight-year-old's turn to walk the dog. So eight-year-old puts the leash on the dog, goes out into the neighborhood, and walks the dog around the block. Now, this is a suburban neighborhood in in Wilmette. We're, We're not talking about... You know, the, uh, the, the inner city, some inner city gang ridden area of Chicago. And we're talking about a, a suburb. It's, it's a block. And, and mom says, well, actually, if I wanted to, I, I could probably look out windows and I could see her. But she, as uh, she goes around most of the block, but she walks the dog around the block. So she sends the kid out, the eight year old. This is in the middle of the day. So, all right, kid walks, eight year old walks the dog, comes back home, sitting inside. They're waiting for, actually, she had a playmate who was supposed to come over for a, a play date. Doorbell rings. They open up the door expecting that it's going to be the, this this other little girl who's come over to play with the girl. And instead, it is the police. The police say, well, we received a call saying that you had allowed your daughter 
to walk the dog by herself. And the woman says, well, yeah, I, I, I did. Yeah, she, she walked the dog around the block. And they say, well, you know, how old's your daughter? And she says, eight. Huh. How long had she been gone on the walk? I don't know. She walked around the block, however long it takes to walk around the block. Huh. How how old is your daughter? You sure she's not five? No, no, the daughter's eight. Okay, so the police say, well, we had gotten a call from an anonymous source, a neighbor, who said that you were allowing your child to walk the dog without any supervision. And the woman says, yes, I, I was, you know, guilty. I, I, I did that. She's eight years old. And the police say, okay, well, they leave, taking this under advisement. Next thing to know, you know, is the woman gets contacted by essentially DCFS, the, the child protective people, saying that they too had received this call indicating that the mother was guilty of neglect by allowing the child to walk the dog by herself. And the investigators are trying to determine how long the child was walking the dog and how old the child was. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that we live in a climate nowadays where you you don't want kids unattended for length of time, lengthy periods of time in dangerous situations or, you know, locked in hot cars. But let's tee this up. The kid is eight years old. Her assignment is to walk the dog. She walks the dog around their neighborhood by herself. Is this child neglect? If the child was six, would it be child neglect? If the child was 10, is it child neglect? At what point in time can you allow children I guess to go out unattended in the neighborhood without being guilty of neglect. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Neglect? Or is it completely and totally appropriate to allow an eight-year-old or maybe a kid even younger to go out in the neighborhood by themselves? 414-799-1620. This woman did it. She got a visit from the police and a referral to Child Protective Services. Your reaction. 414-799-1620. We are back to discuss in just a moment. It's 115. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 118. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Dave in Madison. Dave, good afternoon. Uh, hi. Hi, Dave. The thought I had is uh, if the dog is a large breed dog, maybe the neighbors might have a problem with a small child trying to control a large dog, but if it was just a small dog, it seems like they're overreacting. And you want the person to clean up after the dog if it does do something yeah. in somebody's yard. Right, but that, yeah, but Dave, thanks, but that wasn't the issue here. It, it wasn't, gee, there's a dog, you know, pooping in other people's yards. The concern was, here's a, a child. It's an eight-year-old. Can she handle the dog? Um, 414-799-1620. Jennifer in Sheboygan Falls. Jennifer, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I think it's perfectly fine. Obviously, this wasn't a new neighborhood that the family just moved into. They must have been there a while that whoever saw this girl walking around knew where to send the police to. Obviously, the mother thinks that her daughter has a maturity level, that she can walk around the block, do the task that was at hand. She knew she had a friend coming over. She had to go right back home. She did everything she was supposed to do. I think the mom was fine. 
I, well, I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, it, I, I have a text here that says, what if you allowed the, the child to walk to school and it was more than a block away? I mean, have we really gotten to the point where the nanny state is this out of control? Correct. And I, especially with maturity level, you know if your child can handle that and if they know where they're going. She obviously did. She's familiar with the neighborhood. I mean, for someone to see her and call the police just seems a bit over the top. More than over the top. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it very much. Tell you what, we're going to take a very quick break. We'll be back with more calls in just a moment. Stick around. Jeff Wagner. 123, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You know, we are getting more and more stories like this where you have kind of the nosy neighbors who decide that, you know, we're going to call the cops on, on everything. Now, in this particular case, the cops came out and investigated and made a decision that there wasn't going to be any charges. But it does kind of raise this issue. Are we at a point now where what used to be sort of normal interaction? I mean, I again, I don't I don't want to go back to the days, the old days when I was a kid, but I can remember when I was seven, eight, nine years old. I would play in the neighborhood. I mean, and there wasn't parental supervision. I mean, I could distinctly remember that. You'd get up on a on a summer day, and you know, you'd go out through the neighborhood, and you'd ride bikes through the neighborhood. Now we weren't allowed to ride all over, but for a two or three block radius, that's what we do. You'd go over to different people's houses. You'd play different games. You know, you'd play baseball. You'd go over the field. That is what you would do, and you wouldn't have the adult supervision. And you knew that you were supposed to be home at a particular time. Now we're at a point where you're eight years old and somebody's going to call the cops if you're walking a dog. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to David in Hartford. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. So I'm a father of three. And I think it's the parent's decision to measure their child's maturity level. Sure. If they've got the proper maturity level, you know, you can assign them boundaries as long as you stay within those boundaries. And so I kind of relate this to, you know, federal versus state where the federal government is, you know, we're trying to get power away from the federal government, get it down to the state level. In this case, I think it's a, it's a parent thing. You know, right. Why is the county or the state trying to be involved in this? This is the parent's decision. Well, well right, exactly. And it's going to also depend on on a variety of factors. What's the time of day? What's the neighborhood like? I mean, my guess is if this was 3 in the morning, the mom and the dad wouldn't have sent the 8-year-old out to walk the right. dog at 3 o'clock in the morning. But in the middle of the afternoon... I mean, where, where do you draw the line? Don't we want kids to get exercise? Don't don't we want kids to go out and interact with society? One other thing to consider would be, you know, if the family's in the system where there's a history of police well, visits for right. you know, any number of different indicators, sure, okay, so maybe put it higher on your priority list to come check it out. But, right. you know, if it's a family that you've never been out there for a noise disturbance or any of the other indicators that might right. present an issue, then, boy, I don't know, it seems like a bit of an overkill. Well, well thanks for calling. Now, in, in fairness, I mean, this this is not a topic to beat up on the cops. It's more like if I want to beat up on somebody, it's going to be the nosy neighbor that called the cops in the first instance. I I mean, I, I understand you're, you're the police, and you get a phone call saying, I'm a neighbor, and I'm watching this small child that's unattended with this dog, and, you know, the, the police... I don't know that they're concerned if it's a three-year-old, if it's a four-year-old that's unattended down the block. But I, I again, even that, at, at what point in time, I mean, do you, okay, if you've got a five-year-old or a six-year-old, can you say, um, gee, can you run Can you run across the street to Mrs. So-and-so's and borrow a cup of sugar? I mean, have we really gotten to this point? Now, look, and I understand there's real neglect that's out there. Don't Don't get me wrong. 
But if we're talking about kids that are outside in this neighborhood, you know, I, I think the, these neighbors and the nosy neighbors and the fact that you got these people that want to get involved and try to be judgmental about everybody. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm listening to your show right now with my eight-year-old daughter, and she thinks this story is ridiculous. She is right, by the way. I agree with both of you and the last caller. You should be able to assess your child's maturity without wasting police time. The nanny state has gotten out of hand. 414 799 one six uh, twenty. Let's talk to Arthur in Milwaukee. Arthur, good afternoon. Yeah, hi, uh, Jeff. Uh, I agree with with you, kind of. But with society today, kids are just being snatched. And, and come on, you're not safe nowhere. Who would have ever thought those priests would have molested all those thousands of little kids? Well, okay, but but so what do we do then? We don't let kids out. I mean, we we bubble wrap kids. We say. You, you can't go outside, and you can't walk to school, and you can't go out and play because something bad might happen to you? Hello? Oh, I hung up. I, 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 look, I mean, I, I, I just, I refuse. I, I refuse to give in to this. I, I understand that bad things can happen, okay? I understand that there's things that you can do that are irresponsible as a parent, but, but I'm sorry. I refuse to buy this notion that you, you all right, where, where I live, for example, um, there is a mailbox. You go to the end of the corner and you go around the corner 50 yards, maybe from where I live, maybe 50 yards. Now, I, I don't have children, but for example, um, if I were to say to my, my, uh, my granddaughter, um, my granddaughter Addie is, I think she's nine. So if I were to say to her, Addie, you know, you, you want to run over and, and mail, you know, mail a letter at this mailbox. I, I don't think that that's child neglect. If she says, sure, I'll be glad to do it, Papa Jeff, and she runs over and does it. I don't think that that's child neglect. If in the middle of the day I, I send her that, that 50 yards, you know, in a good neighborhood, I, I just, I refuse to believe that. Now, do I understand that something can happen? Something bad can happen? Well, yeah, I guess that's the possibility. But do we really, really want to raise children in this cycle that they're afraid of of everything john in milwaukee john you're on wtmj john yeah hi john what do I you think with, I, I think it's just an, uh, comes down to a boil down to a nosy neighbor that has nothing better to do i mean what's the mother going to do guard that child 24 7 every time that she's outside whatever eight years old is far enough to right. be outside by herself what, and then on top of it, forget the cops. She calls child services because yep. she's not happy with what the cops tell her. Right. Yeah. That's that's it. That's exactly the kind of neighbor that you want. Thanks for calling. She calls the cops. Then she ends up ca- calling child protective services. Yeah. I think, and maybe maybe you're going to label me as just this irresponsible adult. But let's say that there was a playground at the end of the street. I mean, yeah. I, I think. Eight or nine years old, I think it's fine to say, you know, you want to go play with your friends? Go, go, you know, go play with your friends. Now, of course, you teach the kids, you know, if, if there's some stranger that comes up, don't talk to the strangers. And if you get, you know, if you feel uncomfortable, you know, come home right away. I mean, I understand you tell the kids this, but this idea that you're not going to be able to go outside the house or you can't walk the dog, I give this mom credit. She's trying to teach her kid responsibility. You want the dog? I said you have to take care of it. And yes, part of that is taking the dog out to walk and for that you get a visit from child protective services it's 134 jeff wagner wtmj 94.5 kti countries karen delisandro is on a mission today 
She wants to sit in all 17,500 seats at Pfizer Forum. It's called Squats for Tots, and it's helping benefit the MAC Fund. Text the word Karen to 414-799-1620 to track her progress and to donate to help fight childhood cancer. I have, uh, I'm actually going to go down there. My wife and I are going to, my wife's picking me up. It was take your husband to work day and she's going to pick me up and we're going to go down after the show and we're going to help Karen sit in a couple seats and, and go out to dinner. So text the word Karen. You can get all the details about that. All right. I, I said a, a month or so ago, I, I broke down. I think I was one of the last people in this country not to have Netflix. Now, Gru, you have Netflix, right? Yeah. And you, you would mock me. Why don't you have Netflix? And I just, I, I didn't get Netflix because I just didn't think I would have the time to watch all the stuff. But as everybody who's a regular listener knows, I'm, I'm just kind of a pop culture junkie. I love TV. And, and one of the reasons I get Netflix is not just for access to kind of some of the obscure movies, but I, for the longest time, I've been reading about all these TV series, these made for Netflix thing that were on Netflix that you couldn't see otherwise. And I felt I was missing something. So I have been sampling them. Some are really, really good. Um, for example, Glow, which is kind of a show about the, the, if you remember back to the 80s, they had the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, Glow. And, and this is a, it's a comedy. I, okay, they've had two seasons of it. You, Netflix, they don't bring them out week by week. They bring them out all at once. So I've watched both. I like Glow a lot. My wife and I are currently watching The Crown, which is, very, very good. It, it's the, uh, I'm only halfway through the first season. They have two so far, but it's, uh, Queen Elizabeth, the current Queen of England, when she was a young woman and took over. It's, it's, it's actually, it's fascinating. It's very well done. I, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. We watch those two together. Uh, Fran and I watch those together. There's other TV shows that I haven't really gotten into. They did a remake of Lost in Space. I watched the first two episodes and it didn't hold my attention. I mean, I, maybe I'll go back and watch more, but it, it didn't hold my attention. And that's, that's just, that's just me. Uh, let's see a couple of the others that didn't hold my attention. Daredevil. Uh, that's, I, I thought I'd love Daredevil. Eh, didn't really, cause I'm a comic book guy. I didn't like it. But one of the ones that got a lot of great reviews that I watched a little bit of is another one of these comic book TV series. It's called Luke Cage. And the premise of Luke Cage, who is an African-American super-powered guy, um, who he, he's, he, he's in Harlem. And it's a, it's a very black-centric type of TV show. And he's a guy that's fighting mobsters and things like that in, in, um, in, in Harlem. And it's a well-made sort of show. I watched about three or four or five episodes, and I, I've stopped. Maybe I'll come back to it. But I will tell you. There is one aspect of the show that I found to be very, very difficult to watch, and that is the use of the N-word. It is thrown around gratuitously. I I mean, it is used a lot to the point that it's almost like watching a Quentin Tarantino movie, you know, where they're they're just using it constantly. And I, I, I have said this before. I don't care who is speaking that word. I, I think it's a word that no one should use. And I don't buy this idea that it's okay for black people to say it and it's not okay for white people. I mean, I think it's a horrible word, and I don't think anybody should be using that. And I admit that one of the things that kind of puts me off about this particular TV series is it's used just all the time. And after a while, it's kind of like, oh, come on, really? All right, now I was thinking of that because one of the the head guys at Netflix, their public relations chief, was fired 
about a month and a half ago by Netflix because apparently in a meeting he used the the N word um and and what what they were doing is they were apparently having a a conversation about when that word was acceptable to use and when it wasn't. And he actually used the word at a meeting, and there were a couple African-American employees there, and he ended up getting fired for doing that. Now, I thought it was quite ironic that Netflix, the, the place that puts on this TV show where you have this gratuitous use of the word, the N-word all the time, is then going to say, well, when we're discussing using the N-word, we're going to fire this guy for, for using that word when you're putting that on TV. I mean, it's kind of like, what, what message are you sending? Which brings me to the story I want to talk about with you now. The Indianapolis Colts, their play-by-play announcer, their, their Wayne Larravee, is a guy named Bob Lamy. And Bob Lamy has been, uh, the, he's been the announcer for the, the Colts essentially since 1984. Well, he, they just announced that he had retired. Well, it turns out that he, he didn't really retire. He was forced out. He was essentially removed because he used the, the N-word. Here's apparently the, the way they describe it. He's talking to a couple employees, and he's telling a story about when he worked at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you know, the Indianapolis 500. Um, and he says, I remember when I was working there, this is this is what somebody told me. The guy asked me, you know, if the microphones were off, and I said, yeah, everything's off, you can say what you want. And then apparently the, the guy that he was talking to said, um, they started talking, and he said, you know, I, I noticed the speeds are down this year. Do you think anybody's holding back their speeds? Do you think anybody's holding back? And the guy apparently said, well, the reason that people aren't moving as fast is there aren't any blank in this race, except the guy didn't say blank. He used the N-word. And in retelling this story, the Colts announcer doesn't say blank. He uses that word in attributing it to someone else. Well, the employees complain, and... Ultimately, he is forced out for using that word. Look, I, I, I want to open up the phone lines. And this is a very, very sensitive issue. And, and, and I, I understand that you, you always you want to make allowances, I guess, for cultural differences. And I, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how you, know, you go to a concert nowadays, and one of the things, everybody stands up and sings along. Well, if you're a white person and you're at a concert with an African-American rapper, and as often happens in these rap lyrics, every second, third, fourth, or fifth word is the N-word, all right, can, can you sing along with that? Can you rap along with that, or do you have to be quiet because you, you can't say that even though somebody else is saying that? All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Did the guy, the Colts announcer, deserve to be fired for repeating this story and attributing that word to someone else? And again, this is, isn't on the air. It's an off-the-air sort of conversation. And I guess the larger point I, I want to address with you is, do if, if this is wrong, and, and by the way, like I say, I think this is wrong, do, do we need to come together as a community 
and say this word is wrong. And it doesn't matter who's saying it, and it doesn't matter the context with which this is being said. It's it's language which should not be used. And again, I note the irony that, you know, you tune in some of these made-for-Netflix TV shows, and that's every third word is that word, and yet they, they fire a PR guy for in a meeting discussing the appropriateness of that word. 414-799-1620. Did the Colts announcer under these circumstances deserve to be fired? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 142. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Harry sends me a text. Jeff, I started watching The Wire per your recommendation. They use that word, or the N-word, all the time. Yeah, they do. They, they do. And I, this is my beef. I, I just don't think it's appropriate in any situation because I think it tends to normalize that. And, and that's precisely what happens. If you're just tuning in, the, the longtime radio announcer of the Indianapolis Colts, 79 years old, essentially forced out of his job because he's telling a story about something that somebody said to him back in the day at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and that person used the N-word. He repeats that word as as he's telling the story. This is what the guy said, and other employees then say, you know what he said? They tell human resources, and he's ultimately forced out. Um, it, what was this? Does the punishment fit the crime here? Let's talk to Wendy in Janesville. Wendy, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi uh, I just want to uh, comment on the similarity of this to the Papa Murphy incident, mm-hmm. where he was in a meeting and discussing uh, the use of that word, and it got out of the meeting and was also fired right. from his own company. And in both situations, I don't think it was right. Well, no, I, I, I think you, you always, to me, I think, for, and again, I, I start my basic premise here with, I don't think anybody should say that word in any sort of context. I, I think you, you just don't want to do anything to normalize that word. But, you know, to the extent that people do still use the word, I think you have to, I do think you have to kind of look at, at the context. What is being said? Is it being used as a slur? Is it being used to, in this case, you know, recount what somebody else said? I think I think you have to have some perspective on it, but apparently, you know, we're we're moving away from that. We're saying, okay, now you said this word, so boom, you have to be fired. And then, by the way, you know, tune into Netflix tonight and tune on this show and hear it every five minutes. Yeah, it's not right. And again, it's it's just I, I think we have to decide how to handle this. And far be it from me to be this guy that, you know, starts to censor people's conversation, restrict stuff. But I I really do think that especially for some of the the young artists who who seem to believe that this is an acceptable word, I I think, you know, maybe, maybe some of their elders need to talk about how hateful that word is and how normalizing this by throwing it around on a regular basis, how that makes it more difficult to then stomp out the use of it. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Josh on the South Side. Josh, on WTMJ. Um, it, it just seems like it's overkill. I, I'm a freedom of speech guy. Granted, you don't have a right to sit in the workplace, but wh- how many words are you going to eliminate? And you mentioned, someone mentioned the wire. It was, if you want to make a drama realistic, are you trying to tell me in Baltimore and the inner city? That that word isn't used, yeah. Um, I, they say it. it right. It was added in the con. So, 
it exists. I mean, you can lie and say, oh, we don't use that word, but there's lots of bad words. So why are some bad words okay and some aren't? Well, I think the, I mean, thanks. I guess, see, to, to me, the, the goal for, for anyone, regardless of race, in this case, should be to try to, let's try to eliminate that word from society. Now, I, I, I agree with you. If you are, if you want to have a gritty, realistic depiction of, you know, what goes on in certain communities, I, I think you're, you're right. I mean, that's, that's probably the language which is being used. My argument would be it is unfortunate that some people um, feel that that is appropriate language. But at the same time, then we have to be careful. Okay, if it's going to be appropriate language for some people, well, then can you fire other people for a non-sort of gratuitous use of it? Now, look, I, I understand. Let's take the Papa, Papa Murphy case or, or this one. If, if the guy had come in and started using those terms and, and cursing at African-American employees and using that term, that, that's one thing. If you're describing, gee, let me tell you about back in the day what this particular guy said, and you tell it in that context, is there the same hateful intent that's behind it? And I, I, I'm looking at this story, and I guess sometimes I think there is an overreaction. And again, going back to that Netflix story, I do think there is this irony when you're producing TV shows that have this word in it all the time, and then you're going to fire an executive who's apparently you know, engaged in a discussion about when it's appropriate to use that word or not, and in the context of that discussion, mentions it. Mike in Bayside. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. I was a teacher in MPS. It is normalized. Yeah. It is, the word is normalized. And to the other point, it's just a word. It's like a firearm or fertilizer. The way you use it or the ideas, your actions are what define it. It's a word. It's been used as a punchline by whites, blacks, Italians, everybody. Uh, what, but that's not saying. But that's not saying that we should encourage. But, but, but Mike, that's not saying we should encourage somebody's use of that, is it? Wait until they say you can't use the word conservative. They can use the word Nazi. People can call people Nazis all well, the time. And you know what? It's accepted. Well, I I, I understand. Uh, but there's di- thanks, Nicole. There, there's different words that have different impact. And, and I guess I, I understand that you say, okay, this is just a word, and that's just a word, and words don't hurt or whatever. But I mean, I. I think there are certain words in our society where society would be better off if those words didn't exist. My beef has always been the double standard where don't say this, don't say that, that's inappropriate. But then yet, you know, popular culture is is full of that use of the word. And that then, I guess, creates these sort of issues where it's okay for some people to say it, regardless of the context. It's not okay for other people to say it. Maybe we should just reach an agreement that we... It's not okay for anybody to say it. 152, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The caller said the Papa Murphy situation, and I said, yeah. But actually, of course, that's Papa John's, the founder, John Schnatter. That's Papa John's, not Papa Murphy. Um, too many Papas going on. All right. Even by PolitiFact standards, I when they first announced PolitiFact, I thought, hey, this has got the potential to be something. You know, you know, let's fact check, you know, different things that politicians say. The way it has worked out, particularly in the local media, is you have some left-leaning writers that decide that we're going to analyze and in some case take way out of context statements, most times by Republicans, and we're going to evaluate them. And if you just look at the number of 
Republicans that get politifact versus Democrats and some of the silly things they do, you understand where there's a bias. But even by that standard, politifact had a whopper this week. Just, just a whopper. Brad Schimmel, Republican Attorney General, running for re-election. All right, he's in favor of photo ID to vote. So he has a, a video that's attached to a tweet. And in the, in the, the video, um, here is what Brad Schimmel is saying. Integrity. It matters at the Department of Justice. And it matters at the ballot box. That's why Wisconsin voters have said time and time again, voter ID protects our votes. We need an ID to rent a car, buy a beer, check out a library book. It's common sense to prove our identity when we vote. PolitiFact, Tom Kircher, who is, again, one of these left, in my opinion, left-leaning journalists at PolitiFact, decides we're going to take that on. I'm saying, well, what are you, what about, what, what did Shibble say that you're going to go after? Well, he said, we need an ID to rent a car, buy a beer, check out a library book. It's common sense to prove our identity when we vote. Kircher decides that he he's going to question, do we need an ID to buy a beer? Yes, you need one to rent a car. You need one to check out a lot. But do you need an ID to buy a beer? And then they go on and they do this politifact saying, well, we, we think it's mostly false where Schimmel claims you need an ID to buy a beer. What planet do these people live on? I mean, you know, Sykes used to say politifact beclowns itself. That's exactly what they're doing. So the rationale is, well, you don't need an ID to buy a beer because if you're asked to produce an ID, you'll have to. But they don't always ask you for an ID unless you're buying beer at Pick and Save, in which case they always do ask you for an ID. Metro Market and Pick and Save always ID. But because they don't always ask you for an ID, that doesn't mean that you need one. And so they rate this statement mostly false. This is absolutely ridiculous. And it is amazing to me that editors at the Journal Sentinel would say, really, this is what we are spending our time on? The truth is, yes, if asked, you need an ID to buy a beer. But because they say you might not be asked, that doesn't mean you need one. And for that, they rate this statement mostly false. This, if you want to understand the bias that pervades the mainstream media and with some of these left-leaning reporters and their desire to try to, well, let's try to, let's try to influence the election. And that's what I believe they try to do. Let's try to nitpick and we'll try to take some statement and we'll try to give a mostly false rating, which then the opponent can run in an ad or something like this. Now, look, I understand there's legitimate issues that perhaps you want to disagree with Brad Schimmel on. And if you want to say that he's wrong in pushing for the voter ID thing, that's fine. Reasonable people can perhaps disagree on that. But to say when he says you need a photo ID to buy a beer, that that is mostly false is absolutely ridiculous. And we're going to see more and more stuff like that moving forward. And I guess that's what I'm here to do is to kind of call it out. Well, you don't necessarily need one because they might give you a beer without asking. Well, the point is, if you're asked, you have to have a photo ID to prove that you are over 18, period. Case closed, 159. It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, a lot of ground to cover. 
There have been a series of protests over the years in Milwaukee where the police, rather than than risk confrontation, have essentially allowed, what is the phrase that is controversial? Well, the cliche is the inmates running the asylum. Now, I understand we're not supposed to imply that the protesters are inmates, but that's what the cliche is. But there, there have been situations where you've had people that wanted to protest, and rather than just confining the protest to a particular area, have decided that they want to take to the streets and block traffic. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago, I guess, when you had President Trump in town at the for the Foxconn groundbreaking, you know, staying at the Fister, that was the opening day of Summerfest, I seem to think. And you had a ragtag group of protesters that decided they wanted to create disruption, so they blocked freeway on-ramps. And the Milwaukee Police Department let them block freeway on-ramps and off-ramps to the point that you had cars backing up on the freeways and things like that. And and my point at the time was, what do you mean you're letting them block freeway on-ramps and off-ramps? I mean, I I, I respect the right of, of legitimate protest. I get it. If you want to march... Well, you get a permit to march, and then you abide by the the requirements of that that permit. But you can't just allow people, at least in my opinion, to wander down the streets, block traffic, and things like that. So we've had this happen in Milwaukee. They have had it happen in Chicago on a bigger scale. A few weeks ago, there was a protest that went on with the blessing of the cops where they blocked Lake Shore Drive. Lakeshore Drive in Chicago, just like Lake Drive um, and Lincoln Memorial Drive in Milwaukee, is one of the main areas of um, of getting into and out of the city of Chicago. And so you had a group of protesters who decided to show up, and they were going to block lanes of traffic around rush hour. And the police allowed them to do that. Well, now at least some members of that group are back. And here's the idea. What they want to do is they want to... And they're announcing this. They have a plan on Labor Day to block the freeway, about a mile-long part of the freeway that leads into and out of, wait for it, O'Hare Airport. So the idea is this group is announcing we're going to block the freeway so people can't get into and out of O'Hare, at least on the freeway. You could take city streets, but you know who wants to do that? So they're announcing that they are planning this, this shutdown. The police, for, for their role, are saying, well, it's illegal for pedestrians to enter the expressway, including all off and on ramps. Protests on the expressway endanger neighboring communities by backing up traffic onto other arterial routes, creating hazardous conditions for motorists, which are likely to cause crashes, resulting in injury and fatalities. Okay, so they're saying it's against the law, and by the way, it's really not a good idea for people to wander and try to block the freeway, something that doesn't matter what your politics are, everybody can agree to. But here's what the cops aren't saying. The cops aren't saying that they're going to arrest people if they end up doing this. Matter of fact, they're saying, well, we're trying to work with the protesters to see if we can get them to agree to do an alternate route. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I admit, stories like this make me just want to bang my head against the wall because... At what point in time, and I don't care 
whether this is anti-Trump protesters outside the Fister Hotel who decide that they want to block the freeway on and off ramps to make whatever point they're going to try to make uh, on a 9 o'clock on a Thursday morning, or whether it's 50 or 100 protesters who decide that they want to block the freeway so people can't get into the airport on on Labor Day. To me, there is only one response from law enforcement, and that is, this is an illegal activity. We are not going to tolerate it. We support the right of legitimate protest, but if you're going to try to parade onto the freeway to block traffic, we are going to be prepared, and we will tell you not to do it. If you take one step onto the freeway, we will arrest you, and we will prosecute you. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we allow protesters? And we have a history of doing this in this community as well, essentially to make the rules, to decide if we want to sit down in an intersection and block traffic on 4th and Wisconsin or on Wisconsin and Jackson outside the federal building, we're going to allow them to do it, and we'll stand by and we'll wait for them to leave, which is typically after the TV cameras leave. Or should we be saying, no, let's shut this idea down right away. Anybody talking about this is discussing committing a crime, and as soon as you do that, you're going to be arrested. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It seems to me that this is the only, only way to deal with this type of stuff, because as they do say, walking on and parading onto the freeway to try to block traffic is a very, very bad idea. Should the cops allow this to happen in the name of protest? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 215. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 217. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Just a handful of weeks to go in the regular season for the Brewers, and they're still in the hunt for a playoff spot. Are your expectations anything other than that of a postseason berth? Greg Matzik wants to hear from the fans tonight. That would be you. Sports Central starting at 6.07. All right. This has been a, a trend in American cities. It happens in Milwaukee with alarming regularity, and it's been happening in Chicago. You have groups of protesters who want to complain about this, that, or the other thing, who without permits take to the streets and end up blocking traffic. In Chicago, they did it on their Lake Drive a couple of weeks ago, and now the latest protest is they're going to try to block the freeway around O'Hare Airport on Labor Day. Now, the police are saying, well, this is a dangerous thing to do. It creates all sorts of problems, but they're not saying we're going we're gonna to stop them. I think this is easy. The statement is, no, it's illegal to go out onto the freeway. Anybody that does it is going to be arrested, just like I think that anybody who walked out onto Lake Drive the other day should have been arrested as well. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Jeff in Wauwatosa. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? You know, once again, you, you give them an inch, they take a mile. Um, that's the problem that's going on in this country now. If it's illegal, you should be arrested. No ifs, ands, or buts. Because then, you know what I'm saying? It just gets worse. You know, it's like saying, oh, it's okay to steal an apple, but then later on in life, it's a car. You know, why didn't they arrest me back then? Same hmm. thing with these pros testing you. You know, it seems to be getting worse and worse. Well, right. People keep trying to push the envelope. But again, Jeff, look, I, I have, I've got no, I mean, thanks to God, I've got no problem with legitimate political protest. I mean, I, I, I that, that's great. And, and matter of fact, you, a lot of times you will have marches, which, you know, go into the streets. And, you know, and, and, but what you do is you go, 
you get a permit for that, and then you know you're allowed to be there, but you're not allowed to disrupt traffic. And, and there, there's timing of this. Otherwise, all right, you gather in the public park, you can have your signs, you can do whatever you want, you can have your chance. But this idea that we're going to try to do something that is going to endanger lives and create as much havoc as we possibly can, I think it's ridiculous for law enforcement to stand aside and let that happen. Let's talk to uh, Bill in Mount Pleasant. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Uh, I mean, yeah, it literally makes you beat your head against the wall. I mean, I, I travel for my life, you know, for as salesman, and it would drive me absolutely crazy. I don't know any other good way of doing it. I mean, there's no peaceful, real peaceful way other than letting them do their thing, which is got to come to a stop. So, I mean, the only way I would think that you could get at them is to bring uh, motorcycles into the traffic and literally start from the front and the rear of their protests and maze people because mm-hmm. they'll join hands together. They'll lay down on the ground together, you know, but you do that and now they... Right. You know, because right, the the idea I get it. The idea is to try to gather, gain attention, and that that's it. If you look at, like I was saying earlier, you look at a lot of these protests. The, the, the protest ends as soon as the TV cameras leave. Okay, now we'll get up and we'll leave. We, we're on TV, so I understand it's a problem, but still. That's what we pay law enforcement authorities the big bucks for. You know, let let the captains, let the leaders figure out how we're going to stop people from wandering on on the freeway. And if it means mass arrests, I guess, Bill, I say it. It means mass arrests. I can live with that. Right, but I mean, go in there and because and take mace with you and do to get the police uh, motorcycles so they can go through the traffic, get the leaders going from the front, come in from the back. Trap them basically in their own uh, protest, right. and then take them away. You know, because otherwise they're going to join hands. They're going to lay down right. the street. You know, right? And exactly. So- it's that right. That that passive resistance. Thanks for and I, I will. And I'll tell you, Bill. I will. I will leave it up to authorities to figure out how they're going to enforce the law. And I'll, I'll leave it up to you know people who do this on a daily basis to figure out how you control. A, a, if a hundred people show up and they decide that they want to link arms and block the freeway. Well, I guess if I were designed figuring out how to stop them, my first thing would be, all right, we're not going to let them get out on the freeway in the first place. And if we see people starting to march there, we're, we're going to arrest them one at a time before we allow them to get in place. Because once you get them in place, it's a tougher sort of thing. But regardless, I think I would come out strong out of the box and say, not just, hey, this is dangerous and we don't think people should do it. It would be Number one, it's against the law. Number two, it's really dangerous. And number three, we're not going to allow it to happen. So don't try this, because if you try it, you will be arrested, you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, and you will have to face the consequences. It's simple. 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, our colleague at KTI, Karen D'Alessandro, she's trying to raise money for the MAC Fund. We'll check in, find out how she's doing. Stick around. 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Marquette Law School poll results are out, and there are a lot of close matchups and races you might not have thought about. John McCure walks you through the numbers. Tune in, 520 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Speaking of walking through the numbers, our colleague Karen D'Alessandro from KTI Country is down at Pfizer Forum, and she's walking through the seats. Hi, Karen. Hey, Jeff. More like squatting through the seats. Every single one of them, all 17,500 inside this brand-new, beautiful arena. 
And you are doing this, why? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you're joining me later, I heard. Um, We're all doing this. In fact, Team TMJ is out here. We had a lot of great people come out and help me. But the idea is to help the MAC Fund. Today, this is a fundraiser. This is a one-day fundraiser in which I hope to raise at least $17,500 in total. If I'm going to sit in every seat, I don't like, yeah, at least to say I could get a buck a seat. This is hard work. I have to tell you, I'm in pretty good shape. You know that, Jeff. And I've been here since 7 this morning, and my body is starting to feel it. And I'm sure what I'm feeling is nothing compared to what, you know, someone who has sick feels or a parent who's got a sick child. And uh, that's why we're doing this. We're raising money for the MAC Fund so that they can continue to do their good work and research childhood cancer. I'm, I'm curious, Karen, how far far along are you? <laughs> <laughs> we are at 8,761 seats. That's how far we've gotten since this morning. And there are 17,500 seats there? <laughs> And you're going to be here a little later on to take a few rides. Right, well, that's right. I was that's what I was actually asking because my my wife actually drove me to work today. She's picking me up. She's I, I've never I haven't been in the the new facility, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. So right after I get done with my show, I'm going to come down there and we're going to sit in some seats with you. I I, w- I was kind of thinking maybe maybe you'd be all finished by the time I got there around three thirty, but that's not the case, huh? Wishful thinking, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, and please feel free to bring Fran. I saw her name on the guest list. Right. Hopefully you could take a couple of rows and knock them out for me. Right. But, um, but again, I, I just want people to get to our webpage, or I know you guys have a text number set up right. uh, with my, my name as a keyword, and I can see donations. I really would like to, you know, I, I guess I'm really pleading with your audience to understand what we're doing here because it's not just being goofy. We have a real reason to be here. So. Well, right, and, and I think for, you know, if you look at, uh, any one of the number of great charities that are around the Milwaukee community, you, you, you look at you look at the MAC Fund and you think of all the things they, they've done for, for kids over the years. It's difficult to find, number one, a better charity, and number two, a more wor- worthwhile cause for, for people to donate to. Oh, yeah. As I've been looking at the, you know their history, uh, back in 74 when the MAC Fund began, uh, some of these cancer survival rates were only at 20 30%. Now they're at 70 and 80%. If you're the parent of one of those kids, you want 70 to 80 percent. What you really want is 100 percent. So uh, that's why we're going to keep on doing this today and, and keep on giving them money so that they can keep doing their good stuff. Okay. Well, Karen, I, I'm going to probably see you within the hour. So, I, okay, you're at like 8,000 some odd seats now. You've got a little ways to go. Save a couple seats for me, okay? Yeah, you better carve up and do some stretching. <laughs> all right. Karen D'Alessandro. Karen, good luck. Thanks a lot for all you do. Okay, that's Thanks. it. So that, that's um, it, it is. It, it's again. It's I think you know Karen really underscored what's going on here. It, it's not just something you know being goofy. It, it's an effort to try to raise some money for a, a wonderful charity. Um, you, if you look at all the good people that have been associated with the MAC Fund over the years, and and this is just a way to kind of promote some community awareness and maybe have a little bit of fun. And like I say, I'm uh, my my wife and I we're going down there, so we're gonna. I'm not I'm not sure how many seats I can commit to, but if if you can find it in your heart. To donate some of that money, thinking that you know I'm going to be taking my chunky butt and I'm going to be planning it. Some you can donate a couple bucks in my name. That would be what and you're laughing, Melissa. I'm laughing because I was just down there, uh-huh. and it's a lot harder than it looks. It is. I got done, and I was like, "Oh, I did four rows, and I'm sweating." Really? And yeah, and I and I work out all the time, but getting up and down and up and down through rows and rows and rows of seats, I'm telling you, get ready, you're going to sweat. <laughs> this is- <laughs> this is I, see. This is one where the program director comes to you and says, "Hey, you know, I'm just we're, we're doing this thing, and it really be nice. Could you could you go down?" And I, and I of course say, "Sure," because I'm thinking, "How hard can it be to sit in a couple seats?" And 
and you are in shape, and you're telling me it was a little bit of a workout. It's 100%. Okay, well, so this is all the more reason. You you can text us the word Karen, 414-799-1620. We can send you the, the details. This is all the more reason to you know make a donation because, like I say, I'm going to be traipsing my chunky butt down to Pfizer Forum, and I'm going to be going through a couple seats, and maybe we get Fran doing a couple seats as well, and let's raise a little bit of money for him. Huh. 2.30. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. She's not sweaty anymore. No. Here she is. It's Melissa Barkley. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Hundreds of families are still out of their homes and roads are still underwater in Dane County. That's following record-breaking rainfall on Monday. Total damage assessment could be done by tomorrow as the region tries to dry out. More rain is in the forecast for tomorrow, too. Police in Wauwatosa continue their investigation after two men were shot and killed Wednesday afternoon. Police say the men were killed by a semi-automatic handgun that was recovered at the scene, an autopsy suggests the killing appears to be a murder-suicide, but that has not yet been confirmed by police. Attorney General Jeff Sessions says his Justice Department won't be improperly influenced by political considerations. His comments in a new statement seem to push back against the latest round of criticism by his boss, President Trump, who has repeatedly rallied against the department and the FBI. Time now for a WTMJ Drake & Associates market update. The Dow is up 53 points today to 25,680. NASDAQ up five points to 78.93, and the S&P 500 is down two to 28.59. WTMJ Pella, WI.com, time saver traffic, few delays out there you need to know about. 94 westbound downtown to Moreland, four extra, you're looking at a 14-minute drive. 45 southbound Burleigh to the Zoo, five extra there at 10 minutes. Uh, otherwise, 45 Southbound Highway Q to the Zoo Interchange. You're looking at 7 extra at 21 minutes. A 94 outbound from Marquette to the Zoo, just 7 minutes. No delays. Zoo to Highway 16 at 10. A 94 outbound from Marquette to Layton Avenue, just an 8-minute drive. Traffic is sponsored by Senior Realtors Bruce and Gene Nemovitz. Moving and selling the home you love can be hard. Bruce and Gene Nemovitz are senior realtor experts on helping seniors make the move in the right direction. Visit them at SeniorRealtor.com. The WTMJ 5-Day Forecast. Gorgeous day today. Get outside if you can. Mostly sunny, warmer, and breezy. A high 80 for tonight. Increasing clouds late, a low 62. Tomorrow, cloudy, breezy. It is going to be more humid, and there are showers and thunderstorms likely. A high 90 for Saturday. Mostly sunny, warm and humid. Breezy, though. A high 82 for Sunday. Increasing clouds, hot and muggy. Storms might be seeing that late in the day. And a high 88 for Monday. Partly cloudy, warm and humid. Storms are possible. And a high 87. Right now in Oak Creek, it is 78. In West Bend, it is 77. And in Milwaukee, we're at 79 degrees. I'm Melissa Barclay, News Radio, WTMJ. And I'm Jeff Wagner. Coming up next, the president takes on ESPN, CBS, Fox, but not for the reasons you might think. Stick around. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm now starting to realize what I've gotten myself into on this, like, squats for tots type of thing. I, I, I honest to goodness thought, okay, 17,500 seats. I thought D'Alessandro, who's an energizer bunny herself, she would have, I mean, I thought she would have had all 17,500 seats done by now. So I figured it was easy. Yeah, I'll go down and help you out. I thought it'd be all done. We've got 8,000. That means there's 9,000 left. No, it's a wonderful cause. It's just an absolutely wonderful cause. And, uh, Again, we've got a link. If you go to WTMJ.com, we've got a link as to how you can donate money, and um, and any donation helps. MAC Fund is a wonderful, wonderful cause. By the way, when you're at WTMJ.com, you can click on the mobile application. I have just been amazed at how many people I run into nowadays who who 
listen to portions of the show live as, as we're doing it, but they, they can't be around the whole three hours. But they hear, hey, I, I heard you tease something you were talking about in the two o'clock hour, and I got busy. And and they download and subscribe. That's the way you do it, really. Subscribe to the podcast, which my producer group produces every day. You get notified when it's done. And um, I know lots of people listen to it that way, and I very much appreciate that. You can also follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 on Twitter. We have a number of postings. Last night, I kind of went on a Twitter craze about a number of things. My favorite one was, and this is just... I just love the stupid things that lawyers say. For example, the lawyer for Michael Cohen says that his client is not interested in taking a presidential pardon from Donald Trump. Okay, to which my response was, yeah, let's ask him again after the guy standing in the chow line at some federal penitentiary holding a plastic spoon waiting to get served tapioca pudding. I mean, yeah, that that's easy. He doesn't want a presidential pardon. Well, that's what they all say until the bracelets go on and you end up in the back of that U.S. Marshal's van heading for whatever federal pen you are heading for. It doesn't want a presidential pardon. I I understand that there's probably political reasons you say it, but you know, give me a break. Hey, the backup quarterback situation for the Packers is certainly better than last season, but will that ultimately matter come week one? Greg Matzik thinks so, and he'll explain why at 7.30 tonight, 7.35 tonight, on Sports Central. All right, for the last, gosh, probably two years, there has been this ongoing controversy involving the handful of NFL players who have decided that, you know, they, they don't want to stand for the national anthem. It started with Colin Kaep- Kaepernick. The NFL didn't crack down on this. It became a huge issue last year, an even bigger issue after President Trump decided to weigh in on this. The NFL then came out with what their new policy was going to be. They said, look, we're not going to make people stand. But if you're not going to stand, you got to stay in the tunnel. If you're on the field, you stand. The players balked at that, and now this whole thing is kind of on hold. It is a public relations nightmare for the NFL. All right, President Trump, who Lord knows has had a kind of bad week, he's decided to weigh in again. But he's decided to weigh in this time taking on the various TV networks. Now, here's the deal. ESPN which shows Monday Night Football, ESPN says, we we don't show the anthem. We're not going to air the national anthem live during our broadcast. Said we, we haven't we haven't done that before and, and we're not going to do that. That's you know we're we're not going to air it. From let me see, CBS and Fox both say that as a general rule they are not going to air the National Anthem live either. They say maybe there's going to be a special occasion like a Veterans Day or something where we'll change that. But, you know, we're presumably they're going to be in commercial when the National Anthem is being played. So they say we we haven't decided how to do that. Um, NBC, which has, of course, Sunday Night Football, I'm not sure if they've announced how they're going to handle it. They might say it's still under study. But anyhow, the the response to this controversy from the networks has been, as a general rule, we're not going to show it live. Now, they reserve the right to, you know, show clips of it when they come back from commercial if they think something newsworthy has happened. But they're not going to show the national anthem live. So yesterday, President Trump has come out, and he is now – pushing petition to force 
by any force to the extent that public the public demands it pressure ESPN to televise the anthem during its Monday night football broadcasts. So he announced yesterday he started a petition to get the network to show the Star Spangled Banner. He calls um, ESPN's decision spineless. He says, "If America is too, uh, if America is too offensive for anyone in our country, what are they doing in America?" All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, again, uh, the networks, as a general rule, have just decided we're not going to show the national anthem. And that's a policy that, that they've had, that most of them have had off and on. They're just going to be in commercial. The president thinks that that is wrong, and the president thinks that the networks, before these football games, should be showing the national anthem in its entirety. And he's calling for people to sign a petition saying that that's exactly what ESPN should do. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am genuinely curious as to where you come down on this. Should the NFL, should the networks, and this is a network decision, should the networks make it a point to televise the national anthem? Like I say, in most cases, they don't do that. There are certain exceptions, but they most cases they don't do it. They're usually in commercial, so they're getting paid. You know, should that be a part of the broadcasts, or is this just another easy way to avoid? I mean, part of this problem at four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the NFL spineless. That's the president's word for not showing the national anthem. I have a sort of a nuanced view on this, which I will share with you in a minute, but I'm legitimately curious. Are you outraged that they don't show the national anthem? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I've been trying to think, and I, it's, I don't, for example, as a general rule, like before Brewers telecasts on, on Fox Sports, as a general rule, I don't think they show the national anthem. I, I, I'm willing to be corrected. I know, like in the seventh inning on Sundays when they play God Bless America, they, they show that. But I, as a general rule, I don't think it's common for television networks to show the national anthem. And that's what ESPN and CBS and uh, Fox say they're going to do this year with regard to the uh, NFL games. They're not going to show the anthem. Now, it might be if something happens during the anthem, if they come back after break and they, they show that happened, which would be the people kneeling. The president is saying ESPN is spineless by not showing the anthem. Do you agree? 414-799-1620. Al on the north side, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. I actually think it's a very clever and smart move for this reason. It's going to slowly diffuse and completely take away that as being a major issue. And when people tune in, they'll be tuning in to the ball game because yeah. we have to ask ourselves, are Jeff and Al going to be concerned over in Seattle if they're playing Philadelphia whether or not a person stood for the anthem. So only the people in the stadium and those directly being affected by that particular venue will have any any knowledge of it because it's not going to be one of the things that right. you and I are going to be breaking our neck to go find out about. So I think it's very cleverly and intelligently done, and then this whole thing will slowly be 
diffuse. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's like I was saying in the, in the last topic where I was talking about the, the protesters, you know, the people that block the streets. Typically, uh-huh. once the TV cameras leave, they yeah. leave. You know, it's like, okay, we're, you know, we're, we're on TV now. We're on TV. Now we've got our point across. We're going to leave. I do wonder if, to your point, if you don't televise it, um, at, at some point in time, do people just stop doing it because you're not getting any attention anymore? And not only that, it's a double sword for both sides, because just as you said, you're not going to be getting that type of recognition, so it's automatically going to cause the NFL players to now revert to another way of trying to get what they want to get across. Interesting. Now, thanks for calling. I guess I, I, I look at this, and, and feel free to disagree with me on this, but I, I mean, I, I'm not sure, given all the issues that, that are facing the president, I, I this is a, this is a culture battle that I, I don't know why the president is picking this other than perhaps that there's other things that the president doesn't want to talk about. So you want to wade into this. But I mean, I guess I look at this and feel free to disagree that the as I was saying earlier, that the policy has been other than the Super Bowl and maybe on certain special occasions, like I say, a Veterans Day or whatever, the policy has been not to show the national anthem. As far as I could tell, nobody thought the networks were unpatriotic. Nobody had an issue with this. Um, If you're in the stadium, yes, you show the national anthem. I don't see this as necessarily – I don't think it's unpatriotic on the part of the networks. And by the way, I I think I do agree with Al. If you're not giving the would-be protesters attention – well, okay, then then the issue kind of goes away. 414-799-1620, George in Franklin. George, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, my thought is let's keep the players in the locker room until the national anthem's over and you can televise it. Then you take the stage away from these guys that want to protest. Right. Well, and, th- and that's why, t- to be honest with you, George, I thought the NFL's compromise, when, when they said, look, here's the deal, you you don't have to stand if you don't want to, but then you got to stay in the tunnel. If you're going to be on the job, you know, and you're going to be out there on the sidelines, we expect you to behave in a certain fashion. I thought that was and is a very reasonable compromise. But of course, you've got some of the players and the players' union that's balking on this. And I, I, I mean, I think quite honestly, they should just take they they should agree to that. To me, that's a fair way of handling it. But, you know, that that's yeah, me. I agree with that. Yeah, I totally. Yeah. Well, thanks for calling. I mean, and here's the way I've always argued this. And it's it's not about right to protest, but it's about what are your rights to protest in the workplace? The NFL players, like I say, if somebody wants to go on a Tuesday afternoon and stand outside City Hall and carry a sign that says whatever, that you, you have a right to do that. that. That's not the beef. But when you are at work and on Sunday afternoons or Monday night or Sunday evenings or whatever, when you're on that football field, you are in the workplace. I think the employer has every right to put limits on on what your protests are when you are at work. And that's why I think this is a reasonable compromise. But from the perspectives of the network, I don't think they're being spineless and I don't think they're being un and I don't think they're being spineless and I don't think they're being unpatriotic. This is, by the way, something that they've typically done because I, I think, you know, they're they're they sell the they sell the commercial. And and I I mean I just don't remember any sort of flap over the last several years, people calling up our sports talk shows. I don't remember Greg Matzik getting a ton of phone calls from people saying, Darn it, you know, they, they didn't play the national anthem on Fox before the Packers game. I, I just I don't remember that ever happening. So if people didn't get bothered about it before, 
Why should we be bothered about it, you know, moving forward? Pat in Sheboygan Falls. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. My thoughts are every camera in the stadium, I mean, I'd love to see the networks televise it, but every camera ought to be on the flag. Like other people have said, if the players are not getting the publicity, the protests stop. Right. Right. And exactly. The song is all about that flag, so show the flag. Right. It, right. Thanks for calling. It just, I mean, again, the, the, the issue ends up, Right, the issue ends up going away. Um, let's see, uh, Jeff. If it's not televised, the players won't get their kumbaya moment, and the issue will fade away. Yeah, that's that's why I, I think. I mean, I, I think this is a reasonable position by the NFL. And just to go back to what I said a minute ago, I mean, ask yourself a question: Before all this controversy about kneeling, do you honestly even remember? If when you tuned in to watch the Packers game or Sunday night football or whatever, do you even remember whether they showed the national anthem or, or not? Because as a general rule, they haven't been doing that. And they don't do it as a general rule before baseball games with certain exceptions, but typically they don't do that. And I just don't remember this groundswell. Now, basketball games are different. I mean, basketball games, I, I do seem to remember you know, you have the players that are standing there, and, and, and they will show it. But it's just a different thing. Uh, Tom and Sheboygan text, Jeff, just like a person running onto Miller Park Field, the network doesn't show them. Don't give the players their minute of fame. I agree with not showing the anthem, which makes the whole issues go away. Lisa and Wind Lake text, Jeff, it's similar to the whining toddler in the grocery store. If you don't give them attention, they will stop whining. I agree with your statement about the president. There are, however, much bigger things to be worried about. And that's, that is, that is sort of the issue. I mean, I, one of the things you, you gotta give President Trump credit for is he is, he's a master of changing the subject and, and love him or hate him. You know, this is a week where there's all sorts of subjects that I think the president doesn't want to be talking about. So, I know. Let's wade back into the NFL thing. And this time, we're not going to go after the NFL. We're not going to go after the players. We're going to go after the networks. I, I actually, it's tough for me to get too terribly worked up. If CBS and if NBC and if Fox and ESPN decides that, as a general rule, we're not going to show the national anthem, period, that's okay with me. I, I don't think that makes them unpatriotic. It is 2.54 when we come back. We're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.